0: Hi, it's Dave. Welcome to episode 276. Today, um, we've got some a special live episode here. I'm joined by Emmett Peppers, and we're going to talk about ARC Invest's $3,000 Tesla price target. Cool, cool. So I just got to play the intro clip. So, yeah, we've got an exciting week. How are you doing, Emmett?
1: I'm doing well, yeah. Just been uh, exciting to hear this new ARC report come out, and um, you know, it's been a tough uh, few weeks with the volatility and growth stocks and tech stocks with mm-hmm. the interest rates and so forth. But you know, other than other than that, I'm doing doing great. How about how's it going with you?
0: Awesome, yeah. I just came back from a camping trip to the. Beach or the ocean in Texas. And so, yeah, I've been taking wow. camping
1: trips uh, more lately
0: with my uh, kids, wanting to, to get them outside and stuff. So, been having a good time. Yeah. So, yeah, you have
1: them really well prepared for that from your travels list this past summer, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're like the
0: experts. They just like land at the camping site. They know exactly what just to go. do. They're just yeah. like naturals.
1: Right, <laughs> great. You got to keep that going. Yeah. Don't let them yeah, lose yeah. that.
0: Um, yeah. So, this week's been exciting. Um, I was actually camping. Like out somewhere in some distant Texas State Park or something when ARC dropped their um, price target. And so it's a $3,000 price target. Um, what was your first thoughts when you heard um, ARC invests a price target? I, I guess it's for 2025, right, the $3,000? Uh, yeah, so my,
1: yeah. that was my first thought was just like, wait, is this $3,000 today and then appreciates over time? To 2025, you know, or is this 3,000 what they envision in 2025, which then you discount back, you know, to today? And that's what it is, right? It's 3,000 is their kind of like median case for 2025. And then they discount it back at what, 10% or 15% or something like that to present day of what was it like? 1500 or something like that, I think. Or uh, do you recall what their present day value Yeah, would I don't be? think they gave
0: a present day. They, they gave a, a bear case of 1500 and a bull case of 4000. And their base case was 3000 in 2025. I think that was kind of their overall mm-hmm. model. Yeah. Okay.
1: And they let us kind of figure out how we yeah. want to discount it back to today's value then. Yeah, yeah exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's fair. I think it's a fair price target um, for my own. Opinion. Um, I think they're missing, you know, their their report is missing some key things, and it's a little. Um, I think it's 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 uh, the the median case to me is a little hopeful on uh, on the robo taxi being employed like you know mass adoption level kind of stuff. Um, but that's just my opinion. Like I think there's going to be slow implementation. There's going to be a lot of resistance. It's like, you know, imagine like when the elevator operator disappeared, you know, stopped and it was elevator buttons, that was kind of a, a trip for the public to figure out. And, uh, this is like that squared, you know, that's how I think of it. It's going to, it's going to be a big, uh, change for a lot of people to suddenly see a lot of cars with no drivers in it. It's going to be a lot of pushback. It's going to take a while. It'll happen in bubbles first. And then over time, slowly, I think it'll be more mass adopted, but that's just my thought on, on that part of it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I've been, um, you know, getting into the whole full self-driving and the technology, the software behind everything, um, especially with like James Dalma interviewing him and, um, yeah, I'm at a place where, where I'm like super convinced that full self-driving is here. And, um, I really think it's a solved problem. You know, it's just really just a matter of Tesla just finishing what they've started, you know, and, um, it's inevitable this full self-driving, autonomous driving is coming. Um, I think it's going to surprise people. I don't know the exact timing, but my guess is next year, probably mid-next year, we will see, you know, the first deployments of RoboTaxi. Um, probably in like Chandler, Arizona, that's where, you know, Waymo is testing their their RoboTaxis. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it was before um, next year, and uh, before mid-next year, actually. But um, the question I and think... I
1: agree with that. Mm-hmm. I... I agree. The technology is there yeah. sooner than people think. You know, I, I just think the adoption by people, by the public, you know, other than a couple test areas, is going to be slow. Yeah, but I anyway, think, go on what you're saying.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I used to think that way actually. So, I used to be kind of more skeptical on, especially the timeline and the adoption. But what has shifted me to kind of be more bullish or optimistic is, is Tesla is so close to solving this. And as they put more compute power and they release Dojo on training and they really get this nailed down, um, I mean, by the end of this year, I think full self-driving will be pretty amazing. And it's just when you turn on the switch for more training, you know, they've got this pseudo LiDAR thing where they already are, you know, mapping depth. They're doing bird's eye view. So they have a 3D imaging of everything going around. And all of this is like, it just needs that extra boost. And so, once Dojo gets online by the end of this year, next year is going to be insane. I mean, full self-driving yeah. is going to be so good. The improvements are going to be so crazy. And so, I, think, I hope you're right. Yeah. So, what's going to happen is they're going to release this thing in a limited area, but it's going to get it's going to get so good, so fast because the technology is just you're just riding the improvements of the neural net training. You know, and their supercomputers getting online, they have the data, and so this thing is going to get so good, so fast that within like several months after, you know, Arizona, this thing is just going to. I think it's going to be ready for prime time, you know, sooner than people think, Um, because it's largely a technology problem. Like, if this was incrementally getting better, like you know, like kind of a linear thing, I would agree that it would be a slower rollout. But if this thing is actually like more like a hockey stick. Where after a certain point, like it just leverages data and neural nets and Dojo supercomputer, um, then this thing is going to get so good so fast. Um, I
1: think I agree with you on that. But don't you think the public perception is the problem? That's my opinion, is that it's such a radical change from how everyday life would work. Yeah. It could be a lot of pushback, a lot of like legislation pushback, you know, unions, there's just going to be so many threats to people's jobs like yeah. just people feeling like it's unsafe even though it isn't and even though it's safer the first accident there is with you know we see these reports right now and it's like it's just going to cause delays in my opinion yeah. but that's that's my fear that's yeah. what i think
0: i mean you're going to have crazy you know, battles like in New York City, right? I think there's like 13,000 yeah. taxi drivers. It's yeah. so ingrained. Like, you know, you have yeah. million dollar, you know, taxi medallions, et cetera. But or delivery people. Yeah, yeah but um, th- the way I look at it is it comes down to how good full self-driving is. So here's the, here's the kind of the problem of, I think, comparing it to previous like accidents and stuff is mm-hmm. everything to, until this point with full self-driving hasn't been good enough. It's all, it's all been like not good. Like incomplete, insufficient. That's the
1: perception and the reality. And
0: the reality, right? Everything. So if you get into accident, it's just a a poor, bad, you know, autonomous driving computer getting into a bad accident, right? So it's all bad. But there's going to be a point where Tesla breaches this gap and full self-driving actually gets really good. And once it breaches this gap, then it just gets better super fast, Because now you're in this different territory where it's not like incomplete and bad, but it's like really good. And it just gets better and better and better super fast. And the question is like, okay, how does regulators, like how do they approach this with a system that has eclipsed, you know, human driving, but is getting better, like at a breathtaking pace? I think they'll be very
1: patient. I think they'll want to be very patient. That's my problem.
0: Yeah, I think they'll be patient, but the improvements are happening so fast because it's already... It's already
1: past escape
0: velocity in a sense, right? So it's yeah, the
1: reality has taken off escape, but the perception mm -hmm. that follows, I think, is slow. That's my my thought.
0: Yeah, I think perception will be slower than what perhaps the ultimate, like, you know, bullish of bulls think. But I think ultimately it's how safe, you know, full self driving is. And if the data just, you know, shows this increasing safety that just wipes out human drivers. It's just a matter of years, you know, like I would imagine yeah. the first year or two, there there is that big clash, but at yeah. a certain point, it just becomes ridiculously obvi- obvious, you know, that yeah. these yeah, yeah. robot cars I, are, I safe, are safe.
1: Um, yeah, it's just, you just think about the media though, right? I mean, yeah, I think about how terrible it is for our, you know, for us having informed opinions on stuff. And, and you know, you and I, we study Tesla and everyone who's watching this channel probably studies Tesla closely, but we're the 1% of the people knowledgeable on Tesla versus the rest of the world. You know, the rest of the world isn't studying self-driving or Tesla and they're going to be informed by the media headlines more than us.
0: That's yeah. what I'm afraid of. Yeah, I think, um. so my angle with Arc Invest's kind of price target is, Um, they're they're assuming like different numbers, et cetera, for autonomous. But so autonomous ride hail, their bull case is 327 billion revenue. And then they also have this thing of, if it's a bear case and Tesla can't get autonomous working, they'll do a human driven, human kind of ride hailing case, which their bear case is 42 billion for uh, human ride hailing. But the way I look at it is, I don't look at it like, I really think it's like 98% like I'm 98% confident that Tesla, Tesla really nails this and solves this by end of next year, like really gets RoboTaxi. Yeah. Like, you know. I think
1: technology-wise they do. And maybe they're big enough where they can push their weight around by then to like influence perception better versus being a small company. Now they're like the biggest auto company by far, you know, so maybe they're big enough where they can do some stuff to change the narrative a little bit better in their favor. You know, that's, that's what I'm worried about. Um, in the end, the data will speak for itself and regulators should follow that statistic. You know, those statistics I would think over time, but I I wouldn't be surprised if they're dragging their feet for a while. Um, yeah, and and that's what I'm afraid of. It's going to take longer, but I do think the price target of 3000 kind of in in by 2025 you know I don't think that's unreasonable even if I don't think autonomous driving will be like mass adopted by then it might be but I don't I'm not sure of it you know I think it's yeah. you know it might take longer to get mass adoption but I think there's other things they just they didn't include you know the the main things I don't think they took into account in their factors are obviously Tesla energy how yeah. that develops and Tesla solar yeah. and the semi truck they didn't really you know um but I I think there's these unknowns that we don't know yet. Like if they do an electric vertical and take off and landing supersonic jet, right? I think the plans will be out by then by 2025. And that'll pump up the stock significantly in valuation. Like if Tesla did this with autonomous cars or doing this, where are they going to do the jet industry? And that'll be like a couple hundred billion at least, or a few hundred billion in market cap added to the stock, you know, excitement. And then there's like the, neural network as a service, which is a new industry. And I think that can really expand fast. You're not gonna have regulation pushback like with cars and unions. And that's like a, a technology, like a software of a serv- as a service technology is just gonna just kick off like that and just pump up margins and revenues quickly for all kinds of use cases. Um, so I think those types of things were not part of their target. And um, because of that, I, 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 I think you know, mm-hmm. um, that 3000 number is not unreasonable, even if I don't agree necessarily with the likelihood of the robo taxi implementation by then.
0: Yeah. Um, one point or one interesting angle is that whether or not you completely believe that by 2025, robo taxi will be rolled out in, in a significant way. It's also one angle is like the investor perception that if they perceive and conclude that Tesla has, solve this problem it's just a matter of time before they dominate this new market you know trillions of dollars of of new market opportunity that starts to get factored into the stock price so that's that's the that's kind of the question mark for me is as tesla starts to roll this out and starts to show that see here's here's the thing waymo And others are showing they're doing something
1: different. Yeah, they're
0: they're doing full self-driving, so-called by lidar, but it's not scalable. You know, they're not. you can't scale it to millions of cars. You know, and it's limited in its functionality too. But Tesla has a true scalable solution. You know, if they nail it, and they show people, like, you know, Imagine, imagine next year, hypothetically, Tesla releases a few hundred robo-taxis in Chandler, Arizona. And it's taking people point A to point B, and it's you know going smooth. And Tesla's trying to line up more cities, and as they get to more cities, let's say by the end of next year, you could start to feel the investor perception perhaps start to to shift, just to think, oh wait a minute, Tesla isn't an auto company anymore. You know they're getting into this completely new you know, software space, right? I mean, think about it. It's, yeah. it's like, the thing about autos is like, it's a hardware, it's a low margin hardware business, you know, it's hyper competitive yeah, yeah. with all these OEMs, you know, dirt, cheap costs, but you get into autonomous driving, you get software like margins and, and it's a platform, you know, it's like you're taking a yeah. cut of every transaction. It's like these platform plays are like the best in a sense, you know, like, they are. Um, and that's what Tesla has. And it's not, it's so different than what they're doing right now. You know that i don't think people are understanding like what's happening here there's going to be i yeah. think a transformation in the complete dna and the essence the identity of what tesla is you know up until this point tesla has been like an auto company you know um but they're making the shift into this c- platform company yeah. with software at, or t- transportation as a service that is hugely more profitable and more expansive than a typical just auto company. And at some point, I think if Tesla can show that they're really nailing it and executing, mm-hmm. then that perception and the value that investors give perhaps you know, will will shift regarding Tesla. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so let me give you a different angle of how this could potentially play out. So I think in China, it'll get validated there first before the U.S., you know, adoption will take over in China, and then they'll put more pressure in Western society, you know, Europe and U.S. to follow suit, you know, soon after, because China's economy will clearly benefit from this new innovative technology being mass adopted in China because the government frees it up, basically. And that's how I think it could likely play out, you know. And then in China, you have what I view as the likely second place to Tesla globally over the long term, whether it's XPeng, Neo, uh, Li Auto, or some other company, you know, um, that comes about, I think they're going to have the technology close behind Tesla, you know, like they're already doing self-driving, trying to catch up to Tesla, you know, and they're just going to catch up maybe a year or two behind Tesla, you know, on, on this technology. And by that time, that's when, you know after that time then they catch up on the self-driving neural networks in china is when the rest of the world's going to be opening it up i think and then you'll have other competitors to tesla so it's not going to be a winner takes most like we hope you know tesla will still be the brand that's the leader but i still think there's like in five years these chinese automakers could be like the second and third place automakers in the world to tesla you know, and maybe there's a Volkswagen GM conglomerate put together that buys AI or some other startup to try to compete as well. Um, That's, that's one scenario I see playing out where China plays a critical role in having competition to Tesla globally. You know, right now people are like, China doesn't export outside of China, but this is 2021, five years, a lot of things are going to change, you know, and they're already exporting to Norway, I think, XPeng and other parts of Europe, maybe, but I think that's going to, you know, I think China wants to position itself to be a leader in automotive technology and manufacturing, and you know, Tesla and China are both using each other to kind of help each other and their and their uh, achieve their goals. I think. Yeah. That's that's what I see. Yeah, I, I think know, that's one. Yeah,
0: I think um yeah this whole thing of full self driving competition um is gonna it's gonna be fascinating how it plays out. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of thinking this thing is, um, it's. There's two two angles. One is like other companies are going to find a way to release autonomous driving, which of course they will, but the question is how what's the interaction? What's the dynamics between their solutions and Tesla's? Will Tesla's yeah. solution be that much better? Like in or, like so much better that it just takes an inordinate like a crazy amount of market share, you know? Or yeah. can competitors really give something that will give, you know, will 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 compete, you know, uh, equally or, or with Tesla. And, I, I don't know about that, you know, it's just Mm. because it's so data centric, um, it's going to be tough. Like they can come up with a, with the okay solution, but that's not good enough. When you're talking about people's lives, um, you need Mm. the best, you know? Um, so anyways, it's, yeah, it's definitely going to be something. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch.
1: I don't know if you saw, but I, you know, I loved your chats with James on this stuff. It really is helpful to learn all the technical stuff, you know, that he he's you know has an expertise in, and um, I think there's going to be podcasts showing up soon of people creating, you know, daily and weekly podcasts just on autonomous driving developments or industries, developing businesses, just like you have daily podcasts of cryptocurrency now, and you know, five or 10 years ago that w- there was no daily podcast of that. Right. But now you have a ton, I think in, in a few years, you're going to have these daily podcasts of all these new autonomous driving developments, you know, and it's going to be an interesting, uh, industry that just is going to flourish and really, uh, take off in five or eight years, especially.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, Let's see. Let's uh, go to some uh, Twitter follower questions. Um, So um, Minya Bidness says, can can you ask Emmett about possibly his place for Tesla options with new arc price targets? And if he sees this as another one of those opportunities, would obviously not be as as big as S&P 500 inclusion. Um, and if so, what would he be looking at targets and time frame? So yeah, do you think mm. are you do you have any ideas? Like, do you think this is an opportunity, or are you just like it's too unclear?
1: It it seems it's unclear because we've gone up so much. I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if we get a little bump and maybe some uh, momentum if the macro market you know plays well with the interest rates again and. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if this price target helps and get, but I, I'm not counting on it. Like, and like I did with S and P inclusion, I don't think it's like a, as high a probability event where it's going to like double in price in three months, you know, like I did thought with that. Um, I mean, we're talking, this is a 600 billion market cap company right now, 700 billion, somewhere in that range. I mean, doubling that valuation quickly is a big step, you know, could happen. Um, but, uh, I think, With the options the way i'm looking at it is you know long-term options only if the stock really dips a lot you know and if it goes down to like the 400s again or which i think it could you know if if the whole market's kind of deflating a little bit um then i'd consider buying long-term options in tesla again but i might i might rather wait like a year or two to see if it goes there first because even though they have this 3000 price, we, you know, stocks don't move up smoothly. You know, we've seen it like Tesla went flat mostly for five or six years and then it spiked up 10 X and you know, 18 months, you know, and that could happen again. Maybe we kind of trade flat between three and $800 or three and $700, something like that for like four or five years now. And then it spikes up to like $3,000 in 2025, you know, it's just, it's hard to really know with the long term options. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, is your feeling kind of similar about the stock that's so unpredictable after such a large run-up?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one because, you know, there's different things. There's been this huge run-up the past year, year and a half. Um, Also, you know, these growth stocks are being put into question. There's like you know, with interest rates and just the mood Mm -hmm. around the sentiment around this whole thing, there isn't as much FOMO, you know, as like when it was going up. And so I think, um, and then ARK Invest releases this price target and it's not so, it's a different time than last year, you know, like six months ago. Yeah, very different. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a bump, you know, in the stock price, but I would be very surprised if it was a sustainable like it took us past all time highs, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I'd be very surprised. How about you? How about yourself?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think ARC is seen as kind of like the redheaded stepchild and in institutional Wall Street in some respect. Like I think they're getting a lot of respect, a ton of respect among amongst us, like retail folks and some institutional people are like, you know, it's raising their eyebrows. But it's so their whole model is different. And. I respect it greatly. I, I love what they're doing. They're disrupting Wall Street in so many ways, but that doesn't mean Wall Street's accepting their research for what it is when they should, you know? So I don't, I don't know if institutional money is going to follow arcs research uh, when they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been proven that they should. So it's maybe this next time in five years, if it does go to 3000, maybe from that point forward, it'll institutional research will catch up and be like, Oh, we better listen to whatever arc puts out and just, you know, follow their price targets more than our own.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so tomorrow, um, we're interviewing, um, arc invests director of research, Brett Winton. Um, I'm excited about that. Um, how about you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very excited. I get to kind of co-interview with you. Uh, Uh, this is going to be a fun, fun chat with him. He's, you know, great timing, you know, we, you know, right after their. uh, release of the price target and Brett you know I've listened to a, n- a number of his interviews and he's super smart and tell I mean most of the art pretty much the entire our team is super bright and intelligent in their own respect but this guy Brett he's been there since the beginning with Kathy and uh he's you know he he, he knows his stuff he's very he looks at the world very uh differently in a in a in a good way um and I think he's a critical part of ARC's success. So it'll be really fun to chat with him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think over the years, ARC has gained a lot of my respect. Um, and when I listen to Brett, this guy, man, I'm impressed. I think he's really got kind of like the first principles of a lot of this analysis. Like you get a lot of the stuff from, you know, different videos or articles. But Brett really seems to like know his stuff with rights Law and like why the technology that they invest in is so like important, or kind of like he really, I'm fascinated. So I'm I'm wanting I'm wanting tomorrow to really get down into what makes Arc invest research so different. You know, like like what is its meat? You know, and its core. Yeah, um, it should be kind of interesting. Um, yeah, they usually have like a, a few day uh, review period, so the video might come out Wednesday or Thursday of this week. So just to give people a heads up um yeah so um shmoo from Twitter says which method is better for long-term investors looking for income selling short-term very high out-of-the-money calls periodically or selling a small percentage three or four percent of tesla position each year which method will have higher returns long-term 10 to 20 years in a taxable account do you have any thoughts on that
1: Yeah. You know, I know uh, we chatted a little bit about stuff like this recently. (laughs) And between those two options he'd listed, I would say selling, you know, short term, deep out of the money calls, you know, maybe on, uh, you know, part of your position, not all. I don't know. That's what I would I'm considering doing, Um, because then you kind of keep that upside for the stock appreciating to three thousand dollars, maybe in twenty twenty five, as long as it doesn't double in you know, a short period of time, um, which it could do, obviously, but I, I don't think it will. Um, so if you're just selling these, you know, deep out of the money covered call short term for, you know, a few pennies before the steamroller, then uh, there's there's ways to do that. And if you think the stock's going to get to your your strike price, then you can buy them back and sell another week or two out out of the money calls at even money, for example, and, and try to extend it you know, to make, let the stock kind of cool off or come back down. And you can keep doing that theoretically, but uh, I don't think that strategy would have worked, you know, 12 months ago. <laughs> but but I think that type of volatility in the stock, you know, I don't think we'll see that in a long time. Again, I could be wrong, but I don't think we're going to see the stock going up, you know, 500% in six months or whatever it did, you know, around a year ago this time. So, so yeah, that's, uh, that's my thoughts. Um, I wouldn't want to sell, You could sell three or four percent a year too. Uh, That would be what thirty years. That's a long time. So that could be fine too. Um, But taxable account, you're paying taxes either way, you know. And and uh, I guess you're paying long term taxes on selling three or four percent, hopefully, versus selling short out of the money covered calls. Then you're paying, you know, income tax, full income tax on that. So, you know, what do you think, Dave?
0: Yeah. So the past few weeks, I've been experimenting with, you know, selling some covered calls. Um, yeah, it's like I've mixed opinions about it. I mean, it, it seems obvious in some certain ways to sell. If you have a large holding, you know, where you can make, you could, uh, for example, you you can sell calls 30% out, out of the money, you know, Yeah. Um, you know, you could sell 900 or 1,000 50% percent out of the money. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. You, and for example, yeah, if you have, you know, like for example, you know, in your case, let's say tens of thousands of shares or something. Like, it could actually add up to significant income, you know? or, or um. And so, you know, I'm torn because, like, it seems like an obvious thing, but then there's always a slight risk of your shares getting called away. And so yeah. there's different strategies on how to maybe roll up your calls so you, you know, close out your calls so i had a chance this past week to talk with gary black who's on twitter he's been selling these cover calls for the past year and he kind of coached me through his strategy on how to sell cover calls how not to get them called away but it's not foolproof like you still can get your call your shares called away and so there's always that risk but um i definitely think you know if for yeah it's it's kind of it's something i i'm I'm thinking about a lot just like you know um yeah, just the the pros and cons of all that. Um, yeah. Actually, there's uh, one more actually uh, question from Alan it says, "Why don't you sell cover calls way out of the money on all your current Tesla shares? You can buy them back if it gets too close to strike. Gains should outweigh any losses. So again, this is the whole, no, another whole thing. Is let's say hypothetically you had hundred thousand shares, you could sell like you know you could sell way out of the money, twenty five cents. You know, let's say yeah, uh, cover calls like. 200 300 dollars above the current stock price expiring this week even you know and you can make you know a good good amount you know um yeah what are your thoughts with that
1: yeah i mean that's too risky for me on everything just because you know there's always the white what i call the white swan event it's not really the white swan the way taleb talks about but i think of it as a white swan event where it's like a black swan event but a very good event you know and so Mm -hmm. it's like like China decides to infuse X billion dollars in Tesla to build 10 factories in China and that announcement comes out over the weekend or something kind of crazy like that, you know, that no one really thought of as, as ever happening and then it happens and then the stock like doubles over the weekend, you know, gaps up, you know, and then you just lost all. You know, he lost all of it then, you know, so it's like, I was don't, like, I don't want to miss that chance of happening. It's like a lottery ticket, but it's a lottery ticket. I think with Tesla, you have a chance of that versus, that, you know, Elon running the show. It's like there's a chance of that happening with Tesla more than any other company, something crazy like that. And so, you know, I, that's my worry is, you know, I, and it might not be so extreme like what I described, but, you know, there's there's all kinds of things we haven't even thought of that I think could potentially really positively impact the price and have it gap up, you know, over yeah. a weekend or overnight somehow suddenly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like, that's kind of like my, my nightmare when I, or, you know, <laughs> selling cover calls is I've got like yeah. the, I've got this ideal number of shares that I have, yeah. you know, like it's yeah. kind of a long-term you know shares I want to keep by uh, in twenty thirty, and yeah. I know if I just keep hold on to them, you know, like I'm very confident yeah. in in the share yeah. appreciation. Me too. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like the white swan swan event. You know, it's just like goes us so much. And you could try to roll up roll out your calls, but I don't know. It's like
1: yeah. Not if it gaps up though. Overnight. That much. That yeah. Yeah. Work. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. work. That's the problem.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's um here's a uh. Uh, YouTube um, comment says, tell us about this Gary Black strategy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the Gary Black strategy, um, I need to have him on my show to to describe it. But um, the gist of it is you um, only sell cover calls when the price is down, not up. So on that day, and then you sell for a week out or that week. So you sell weekly cover calls because um, in his opinion, the longer it is like three or four weeks or, or a few months, he doesn't have confidence to predict the major catalysts or events during that time. So he wants to have a short period. And then if the stock runs against him, so if the trade goes against him, then he will roll up the calls to the following week, 10 or 15% higher. So for example, if he sold 800 strike cover calls and the stock price went from 680 to 780, he would actually roll them up. If, as long as it's later on during the week. He wouldn't do it early on the week. He would roll them up to, let's say, 820, 830, or something, or eight fifty, or something. You know, something ten or fifteen percent higher, and he um, keep on doing that. And in his opinion, he's done this thirty weeks out of the last fifty, and he hasn't had his call his any shares called away with that strategy. He's very confident that he could, you know, continue to do that um, and make a good amount of, of income. You know, just by doing that strategy. But I, yeah, I'd love to, you know, dive into it more with him with the specifics. Um, yeah, good that's stuff. why
1: I would. That's why I would like to do it with like half my shares or a quarter mm-hmm. of my shares would be a little more aggressive with it too. Maybe like where I feel like I can, you know, be more risky. So if it does get called away, it's almost just like a limit price I set out there. So if I'm selling 900 strike calls, you know, for three bucks, you know, two weeks out or, or four weeks out or, you know, whatever I can do that. And it's almost like a limit price. I think of, uh, that's how I think of it as for a quarter of my shares or something. And if I, if the stock goes up like ridiculous to a thousand plus and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, overnight on something crazy, then all right, well, I lost a quarter of my shares at a limit price I was comfortable with, you know, and it's like still have 75 percent or 50 percent or something of my shares. You know, that's why I wouldn't do it on all my shares. Yeah. I know someone had asked that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so Matt Market Scraper says, I also never hold any cover calls over the weekend for tesla so yeah gary black also was noting that he doesn't want to hold over the weekend because who knows what will happen he mentioned when i talked with him like kathy wood's price target um could come out on a friday um like it did before and then you know that could mess up you know your calls that you had sold um yeah definitely interesting stuff um let's um, go to Mohammed Famin from t- uh, Twitter he says uh, Emmett what are your um, criteria for stock selection in your fund and is there a hedging um, hedging strategy for bear markets
1: yeah I wish I had a hedging strategy for bear markets in place right now but I, I really I don't it's mostly a growth long only fund mostly occasionally maybe I'll buy some puts on some index puts or I'll You know, my hedging strategy is sell out of the money covered calls on some things sort of like generate extra revenue or alpha than otherwise just holding the stock as it's going down. Um, So I don't really short stocks, really. Um, I just think this environment that we've been in is a little risky to short anything, you know, whether it's, you you know, there's a lot of SPACs out there that don't have any product for many years, like QuantumScape, for example, or. And I feel like, oh, man, those are great. Those are really great shorts. But look what's happened. <laughs> still have this crazy valuation. You're not making money shorting those stocks in this environment. And uh, you have to be very patient. And in between now and being patient, you know, if you're right, the stock could still double between now. You know, so shorting to me is not as attractive. I'm trying to go for bigger returns than, you know, making marginal successes on shorting stocks here and there. Um and so for picking stocks, it's tricky. I mean, I just try to remain curious. You know, I, I like to, you know, learn about the world and what's going on with technology in the future and how I think things can play out. And the more curious I can be in, in, in researching ideas and things that are happening in the world, you know, with technology and changes in how we're going to live our life, then the more ideas I get for investing, you know, it's almost like as I'm learning about things, whether it's this metaverse, which is like a word that's overplayed now, just like AI, but like Roblox or unity and how those could play, you know, or, or whether it's electronic robo taxis or, you know, all this stuff. Like I, I'm underlying my research in that stuff. I'm always kind of thinking of what's a good investment opportunity. So it's like, that's kind of ingrained in my, the back of my head always. And so I'm always kind of listening for ideas and, you know, um, so it's, it, there's, you know, I don't have anything with the same conviction I do of te- as Tesla, but, uh, there's a number of stocks, some favorable on. And we talk about lemonade and someone had asked about that and that's been volatile lately. But I think lemonade, for example, I've listened to the more recent interviews and I think he was on the meet Kevin, the CF- CEOs on meet Kevin recently. I listened to that and, um, I like their model because I think it's disrupting insurance. They built their own like backbone technology. They can keep iterating on really fast, you know, and with their insure tech business and there's other insure tech plays, but from what it sounds like from what I've researched is they're the only ones that really built their own A to Z backend, you know, minus earthquake insurance or life insurance. But other than those two things, it seems like everything is in their control and they can easily update, update a few things or tweak a few things here on the fly. Whereas other, insurance companies, it takes weeks or months for them to like approve new releases and insure tech companies that are coming out. They're really relying on third party backbone infrastructures. So it reminds me of interactive brokers in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and how interactive brokers has disrupted the brokerage industry, but with a much better user interface. (laughs) So (laughs) interactive brokers has a terrible user interface and they're still disrupting the brokerage industry, right? I mean, 10 years f- slower than it should have happened or whatever. But, um, you know, Lemonade is like developing their own backbone, similar, but in insurance. And they have a great user interface. So I think that combination to me is attractive enough to, you know, to still like them as an example. Anyway, yes, what do you think about
0: it's too bad interactive brokers didn't do like a Robin Hood type of app or strategy, I know. you know, like it would have been the yeah. real thing, you know, like not like yeah. what we have. Um,
1: <laughs> I'll tell you, when I, when I worked there, yeah. I, when I worked there for years, I always told the founder, I was like, when are we going to change the username policy? Because the username is so unorthodox it's like five letters and three different numbers it was like you couldn't have the same you know why couldn't you just have your email addresses you you know and and so that was just a symptom of the many issues of their user interface but i was really like infuriated just that we couldn't update the username to be something whatever you wanted it to be versus the weird username creation policy they have you know they've improved it a little bit but it's still like you have to have five or six letters and three digits you know and That means you have to have like a weird username just for interactive brokers that you can't, you have, you know, most people like to have the same username for multiple things. They don't want to have like a different username for every single online system they're using, you know? So it's just a big, that's just a big issue by itself, you know, but that's just the first entry point into the technology people have. And then there's other issues similar, you know, anyway, but overall the system is incredible. Like if you run a family office or your institution, You know, it has great cost effectiveness and it's disruptive. And so you have your secretary do everything, for example, and they have to put up with all that crappy user interface sign up. And then you just have to kind of learn the weird system like a Bloomberg terminal. It's not terrible, but you have to have some kind of train you. And then once you learn it and you had a secretary, you know, just some frustrations. But overall, you're saving a ton of money and you have a good value proposition. So. Yeah, I mean, that's their user interface in a nutshell, <laughs> their
0: problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed, I noticed with big companies, or just even with smaller companies too, it Just there's like in inertia, there's like energy, like like it's hard to change things because it takes so much energy to change something and you don't get, they don't, like people don't think there's a lot of benefit to changing, let's say the username, they're like, who cares? Like, you know, it's working so fine, you know, we just will introduce more bugs and just like, you know, it just creates more problems, right? you know? Um, unless like you have a CEO or a, a leadership that is forcing change, you know, saying we have to, you know, yeah. we have to beat Robin hood. Like, you know, unless yeah. that happens, yeah. sometimes that doesn't, um, change doesn't get done. Um, yeah. Lemonade is interesting. Um, so, um, I interviewed their CFO, uh, Tim Bigsby. I've, yeah, I've been wanting yeah. to interview him for a long time. Um, smart guy. Um, I really liked how he was down to earth, um, how he was able to explain kind of all the business like lines and model and where they're headed. Um, Funny story, like um, that interview was, uh, it was very divisive in, in my family. (laughs) So my wife, she was like, she didn't like the, the prospects of, you know, the company after that interview, she's just felt like, Mm. you know, why is the company choosing kind of um, revenue per user over kind of customer count so early on Mm -hmm. like can't they you know achieve higher growth while still you know improving revenue um so she was um net negative for me I was actually more net positive I felt like you know a um they still have confidence that they're growing and it's not an issue um but this past quarter it was one of those pause take a moment and pause for me quarters so it was kind of like yeah. wait a minute 6% quarter over quarter you know customer account growth um it's got you got to do better than that you know that was a tough headline yeah. yeah yeah so for me it was like hey i'm not going to sell but i'm going to i'm going to be anxiously waiting for the next couple quarters to see if <laughs> like you know if they're getting yeah. out of this or or see, to yeah. see what what's going on you know um yeah that's kind of my two cents with lemonade at this point um roblox were you able to um buy any roblox um the past week or two
1: yeah i got in uh some uh on the first day of the direct listing um and uh planned to hold it and um i think uh you know it's funny i one of my my oldest kid i have signed him up with some uh, tutoring sessions with some like online tutoring to teach kids how to use the roblox development studios and stuff and you know um and i've sat in to watch the two sessions they've had so far and really great you know recent college graduate kid doing a zoom with my eight-year-old and showing him how to do and my my son is like into it and like really clicking things and trying to figure out how to code this world he's creating and um, it just gives me more confidence that, like, you know, this ecosystem, as long as they can uh, keep the developers or the incentive going for developers uh, going and, and growing, it's going to be that self-fulfilling loop of, you know, better content creates better, more, more users, which creates incentive for even better content, which creates even more users. And it's just going to be kind of like a self-fulfilling loop. So as long as they can keep that going within the Roblox ecosystem efficiently, um, I'm pretty comfortable. I and mean, I know like Unity people say, oh Unity's another big play, and, and that's a interesting play too. But it's it's not really competing directly with Roblox. Roblox is its own ecosystem. Unity just kind of provides, I guess, the uh, backbone technology for other for games to be designed, you know, in their own ecosystems in their own right. I guess right. So I do like the ecosystem. Play with Roblox. Um, that's my thoughts. So what, what do you have you thought about it, or did you get involved in Roblox at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, I bought I bought some at open like, on the first day. Um, not that much, just kind of dabbled. I'm kind of the the valuation just kind of you know jumped out. I'm like, huh, okay. yeah, it's high. Um, yeah. which you know it, it definitely could grow into it. I mean, it all depends. Like the other thing is it they're coming off of you know the whole pandemic, so people are going back. To, To work, to school. So it's kind of questionable. And I think that
1: expectation is Mm -hmm. set in the price already. Like, I do, Mm -hmm. I think everyone realizes that. And that's what I think there's upside surprise if it's not so terrible or it's like negative and it's like there's a little bit of growth even. I think, anyway, go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think everyone is sort of afraid of that too already. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm wanting wanting to build up a bigger position. Um, It's more about timing. And, um, but I'll probably be, you know, just, adding um i i love i, I, I like the company the everything they, they seem to have the pieces you know in place mm-hmm. too but it's definitely a long-term play yeah like they're, they're long-term so is lemonade lemonade yeah I think very long-term. very long-term and
1: that's that's like five years yeah really uh uh-huh. you know yeah, yeah and roblox maybe three plus years i think you'll see some real fruits if 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 it works out i think
0: yeah yeah they're both both definitely shooting um long-term um A couple of people have been asking about selling puts um yeah what are your what are your thoughts about selling puts um, to raise income
1: yeah i've done that a few times i've experimented with that it's worked out um it seems a little risky you know i think the best time to sell puts is when you're like really freaked out about like the market tanking and that's when it's like scariest it's like it's like going into that like if you're afraid of horror movies well now you got to go into like the scariest of horror movie movie theaters and be confident you're going to come out okay, you know. So it's like when the markets are crashing, that's when you want to sell the puts, you know. You don't want to sell the puts when you're you know, like the market's up because that's when it's most dangerous, you know, I think. and And so it's tricky in that way. And I'm just – I haven't figured that out yet to be comfortable. I just know enough like, okay – when the idea sounds good to sell puts, that's probably not the right time to sell. put. you know, when it feels good, you know, I got to do it when like my stomach's turning and I'm like, Oh, I've, you know, I've lost so much money from the market tanking right now. Like I should sell puts, you know, and that doesn't sound good because you're like, ah, you know, um, but it's just one of those things. It's like selling covered calls. Like when the market's tanking, you're like, I got to do something to generate revenue. I'm going to sell covered calls at the lows. And then you're just going to get called out when it bounces back up. But when the market's, when this Tesla stock's going at new all time highs at, you know, nine hundred bucks, selling cover calls then would have been perfect, you know. <laughs> but you don't want to. You're like, how high can it go? So it's like yeah. selling the, the timing the puts and the calls, it's like it's tough because it's like you want to do it when you feel like you don't want to do it. It's it's hard. Yeah. It's like it's tough. Yeah. What do you have you sold any puts or done that?
0: No. Like um, yeah, it's like um yeah, it's uh I I don't know I I feel like um, in some ways like I'm willing to prioritize kind of more exponential gain like that's kind of been my whole thing I'm also a little bit with with even generating income with cover calls like I kind of question the whole thing of okay fine I'm I can make some income and, but is this what I want to be focusing on you know it's like do
1: I, it's like yeah,
0: yeah you know it's like uh, you like can am take to, a lot of time and energy. Yeah, I'm trying to make like, like what, a, a couple percent a year or something, right? Which is which could be great, you know, yeah. income. But it's like probably would be a better focus of my energy would be how to exponentially grow. But then I'm in a tough position where almost all my holdings are in Tesla, which I don't want to sell, you know? So it does put me in a in a difficult, I think, place right now. But um yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um let's see. Um, Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, selling cover calls in your IRA. So, um, Mm. yeah, yeah. So what, what, I mean, you mentioned um, uh, to me before that you had sold. Okay, so with your IRA, you put um, 10 million into um, a value kind of diversified fund right? Yeah. Um, Beginning
1: of January, it's done pretty good. Yeah. I'm lucky I did that. Yeah. Yeah, Or mid January, end of January, I think. uh, So
0: it's kind of more in a safe place. And then, um, you recently mentioned offline that you, you, you sold some cover calls on your, your long-term shares, right. In your IRA. Can you explain kind of what you did and why you did it?
1: Yeah. So the IRA account, you know, um, you know, that's in my control. Like I put the portion with the, um, ETF value based strategy, value stock strategy with the RIA that's, you know, running a couple of ETFs on value stocks. And then I have some SpaceX in my IRA, you know, and then there's a big chunk that I just have full control. It's just Tesla shares. Now, a lot of it's gains from that S and P 500 trade, you know, which was great. And so, I just have shares. I don't have any long-term options in my IRA, you know, or call options. And so I was holding shares, trying to figure out what to do with it. And I was like, oh, I should probably diversify and sell some and just start playing around in my IRA a little more aggressively, you know. To um, and, and so I uh, sold, you know, instead of selling shares outright, I sold like, uh, I think I sold December – what was it? 13? I forgot what I texted you. It was like 1300 strike or 1200 strike calls or something. It, it was September. It was like far out, six months out, but I sold it for like 70 bucks or $69, um, for like on 7,500 shares, you know, and it generated like 500,000 of cash, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm using that cash to like invest in a, um, some of it is being used to invest in like, a, a, a small business, um, that I'm looking into. And the other half is being used to invest in some kind of like tiny, like penny stock type stuff. I'm just experimenting with in the IRA account, trying to get like 10 X returns on like very risky things that I'm not researching a whole lot that I probably should research more, but just don't have time to research all these penny stocks, but I'm interested enough to like put a portion of my IRA account in them. So, so I thought of like selling those covered calls is like having a limit order at like 1200 or $1,300 whatever the strike price was, but I'm it's, at the same time, I'm also getting cash to do these other things, you know, and uh, if it doesn't ever get to 12 or $1,300 by September, or even if it goes to 12 or $1,300 in June, but then comes back down to like a thousand by September, let's say, then I just got that cash the way I look at it is I just got that cash for free to do those other cool investments with, you know So I'm thinking about doing that every six months until it gets called away until my limit price of whatever it is like 400 or 500 dollars above wherever it is hits. And then at that point I'll have the extra, I think it was actually a thousand strike. Sorry, not thirteen hundred. It was a thousand strike calls, because mm-hmm. um, it was going to be an extra seven point five million cash if it gets called away. So if it gets called away, I'll just have seven point five million cash to kind of like diversify more, and I'll still have ten thousand shares in the IRA account of Tesla that I probably won't touch or, you know, sell really deep out of the money calls on it eventually. But I'll have a lot of extra cash to do stuff with if it goes that high. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Because there's no tax consequences. It's much more free to like, and I can do more cool things that I think of with my IRA account. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's tax consequences when you take it out eventually, but between now and then I don't have to think about it. You don't have to be like, Oh, I'm going to pay 50% short term on this or whatever. You know, it's not something I even have to consider in my decision making.
0: Yeah. I mean, With your um, personal account. So your taxable account. So are you kind of more, um, more cautious with some of your moves because you don't want to pay taxes if you, you know, for example, get called, called away your, your shares or, or something like that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I already paid a lot of taxes for 2020 and (laughs) it's just not fun. Like when, you know, you're paying like all this, the maximum tax rate on things and I'm not, I don't really have any, special tax evasion or tax special. I mean, I have a couple of small, like I set that foundation up. So that's, I donated stock to that and I experimented with a little bit with a conservation easement syndicate, which, you know, just a little bit. And um, so there's some a couple things I've done to mitigate maximum tax nation of, but it's still, you know, I'm paying a lot in taxes and I know there's people at my level that, you know, I feel like I'm the, the dumbest person of them with regards to taxes <laughs> i'm pretty sure there's people at my level have, based on the accountants i've been talking to or tax lawyers i've talked to recently like you know i'm paying a lot in taxes for most people at my level and it's just painful to do because the government is like the least efficient use of money you know i'd much rather donate money than to charity or, or to small businesses than to give it to the government for a a lot of wasteful uses you know that's my thought on it just a bad taste in my mouth
0: Uh yeah um and then um the the company you're investing in i'm guessing it's a startup um with your ira money right or part of yeah like how are you doing that are you able to invest in like a a a startup through your ira and and yeah where does it go through is it
1: yeah. yeah, I did it once before, actually, with a, a friend of mine. This isn't, you know, the person who's running this business is a friend of mine, but a friend of mine introduced me to them. But um, I did it in the spring, actually, last spring, with a friend of mine's startup company, a small amount. But I used a, a, a self-directed IRA custodian. There's a ton of them out there. Um, you, you just Google self-directed IRA custodian. But the one I'm using is called The, the Entrust Group. And so I set up my IRA account with them. And so I transfer cash from my interactive broker's IRA account directly to the Entrust group IRA account I set up with them. And there's no, you know, it's just an IRA to IRA transfer. It's no tax uh, event or anything. And so then I have the cash with the Entrust and I can use it to like, you can use that cash to do all kinds of alternative investment investing. You can invest in a hedge fund from there or you could invest in a, you know, a small business, which is what I'm doing, or... A uh, special purpose vehicle fund for SpaceX, which is what I did in this in the summer. Or you can invest in, um, you know, real estate with your IRA account. You know, there's all kinds of cool things you can do with your IRA account um, if it gets big enough to that point where it's worth considering. You know,
0: mm-hmm. do you think your IRA account will eclipse your personal account at some point, or do you think that's going to be hard?
1: I think it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm never. I'm given that I'm paying. Crazy. Like if I pay all the taxes on my personal account, it's pretty much equivalent to the IRA account at this point, you know, (laughs) so so with the IRA account, you have to pay taxes on later when you take it out, but you don't have to do I wouldn't have to do that till for 20 plus years, you know, 41. So it could just grow exponentially from here potentially um, until I take taxes out. So yeah, I mean I think the IRA account and I could be more aggressive with the IRA account because I'm not afraid of paying taxes. And maybe if I'm more aggressive I can get better returns or maybe not. Maybe I lose my it's more risky, you know. My personal account, I'm not being quite as risky. I'm just holding these Tesla shares for a while because I, I think it's you know, like we've been talking about these price targets. I think three thousand dollars a share isn't out of you know, I don't think that's I think that's very possible very by twenty twenty five. For mm-hmm. other reasons, not specifically just why ARK says so, but I think it is very possible.
0: Um, Mason Thomas on Tesla says, can you talk a little bit more about Roth IRA? I'm 22 and in a low tax bracket, but say I invest in a stock for five years and then sell. Is it better to do that in a Roth rather than a regular individual account? Would it be better paying early withdrawal penalties versus capital gains tax? No, I mean, um, you
1: know, I'm not an accountant per se, but my thought is that a Roth IRA is the best thing to set up when you're young because the thought is when you're 22 or 22 is that you're going to make more money as you get older. You know, you're not going to, your, your low income tax bracket, you're in at 22 is probably, you're assuming that it's going to get higher over time when you get older, you know, if you work hard and successful. So that's why it's a good idea to set up the Roth IRA as early as you can and start contributing to it. Um, so that when you get older, it's tax free when it comes out of retirement. And then if it grows to be something astronomical, then I think there's like certain things you can do to take money out through some kind of like annuity or something, you know, it's, it's a great problem to have if you get to that point. But most people, you know, it's, it's, um, there, there's certain things you can do to take money out early of your IRA. I think if it gets to a certain amount, like through an annuity type withdrawal or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think with the, with the Roth IRA, the, the 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 strategy is you stick as much as you can in there um, to the limit and you just invest, you know, you don't withdraw it. You just continue to just make yeah, that. Yeah, you don't want to withdraw it. Yeah, yeah, you just want to compound that, you know, grow that over time. Um, and it can be a monster because it's, um, it's um, you don't have to pay tax even when you withdraw it. It's crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, you think about it though. I mean, it sounds great, but if you think of it from like a like a mathematical level, almost like if you start out with, um, you know, let's say you have two thousand uh, dollars extra cash, and you can put it in a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. So if you put in a traditional IRA, it's two thousand dollars, but if you put in traditional, you have to pay taxes first, so you're only putting in like. 1,200 or 1,500, let's say, instead of to 2,000, right? Well, as they grow proportionally, you know, one might grow to 20 million while the other one grows to 15 million, right? So it's proportionally, but you're going to be at a different tax bracket most likely by that time, you got to mm-hmm. think, right? And so because of that, the Roth IRA is better. But if you were going to be at the same tax bracket, then it wouldn't make a difference. It's going to be equal amount at the end of the day.
0: Mm, yeah i i kind of wish it's too bad your your ira isn't roth you know I mean,
1: oh believe me <laughs> i wish it was i tried to convert it and uh yeah. i didn't go well i was in the low tax bracket at the time yeah. and i was like "Ah, i mean you never think your ira is going to grow to like yeah, exactly. exponentially like that like i thought like oh maybe my ira will get to like a hundred thousand one one day if i'm lucky you yeah. know but i never yeah. thought it would get to this yeah
0: so i had a twitter um follow reach reach out to me several months ago a few months ago and he's um He's been uh, invested trading Tesla, got into options and stuff uh, last year, and then he has um he has several accounts, but one of his accounts is a health savings account, right, at HSA, mm. and um, he has like a million one point something million in this oh, health I savings <laughs> account. Hope we got a
1: lot of surgeries <laughs> planned
0: because <laughs> you know it's like you could only you know, put in a certain amount, but he just he just went crazy. it just with Tesla options, yeah. you know, he just went crazy. Yeah. So he has like Aviable. between one and two million dollars or something in Tesla in this health yeah. savings account. Um so yeah, I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to have him kind of um Clean up his statements and summarize them. Maybe I can uh, interview him and stuff. <laughs> he's been working that's on it so for a few crazy. months, so he, oh he's done gosh. so many trades. It's like so crazy. Health savings account. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's he's, like the worst type of account to have all that money in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I better get sick now. Um, no, I think you can actually withdraw it at a certain age. Oh, though. you can. Yeah, yeah. It, it, okay. uh, it becomes well, kind of like then. a retirement account. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. kind of a loophole and stuff. Okay. Um, Yeah. Um, A couple of tweets I want to ask you about. One is you uh, tweeted, I think a week or two ago, you said, prediction, Tesla coin is coming. The opportunity is just too ripe. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, Elon called, you know, Zach Kirkhorn, Kirkhorn, a master of coin. (laughs) To me, that's like, (laughs) what? going on here and elon himself just like weeks before was doing like pet projects with his sons doing like Dogecoin, Dogecoin doge coin mining and you know he's talked about it a lot and i think he likes dogecoin because it has like the inflation uh it has like you know it's issuing more over time he likes that aspect of it for example versus bitcoin as you know so i think he's really been thinking about it a lot and he did paypal in the past he had dreams of like all these types of things way before a lot of it has ever come to fruition you know and You know, I think he's probably dreamed up some interesting, some really incredible ways to create, you know, uh, digital money that none of us can even fathom right now. And, you know, I think they're probably developing something or close, you know, in his mind, he's he's kind of on the edge. Maybe they're already past that tipping point. To develop it by calling him master of coins at Kirkhorn, for example. So and and the opportunity is too right because look at the world now. Like everyone's like Bitcoin this, Cardano that, Ethereum this, and everyone's in all these different directions, you know? Uh, uh. And I think he knows the way to pull it all together. And at least within maybe it'll just be within the Tesla SpaceX ecosystem in Mars. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to pull it all something all together just for like a digital money purpose for everyone you know maybe somehow it includes all of them it's like weighted in different currents i don't know i have no idea what he's thinking he's much more smart you know more brilliant than i am on this stuff but i know he's thinking about it you know i i know he is i mean he talks about it right it's caught his attention and yeah uh, you know master you don't, you don't just it's not a joke master of coin it is a joke but it's like there's a clue there you know it's not just like a joke out of nothing i mean what do you think don't you think that means something?
0: yeah i mean um, yeah it seems like half his tweets this year have been crypto related you know yeah. and so yeah, it's really yeah it. it shows like it's definitely on his mind he's definitely doing his deep dive on it um why don't, like, wouldn't you think, though, like, he would do it outside of Tesla to, like, because he only owns, like, 20, you know, maybe max 25% with all of his options, you know, exercised eventually. Yeah. But if he does it outside of Tesla, he could, you know, have a much bigger share of it. Or even in te- in, if he does it within SpaceX, you know, he would have a much bigger yeah. share of it. Like, why why Tesla, you think?
1: Well, I thought the same as possibly does outside, but then he named Zach Kirkhorn. Master of coin, you know, (laughs) like he's the CFO of Tesla, you know, and he already bought Bitcoin within Tesla, you know, Uh I feel like, you know, and Tesla's so big, it can almost do anything it wants at this point. It's almost, you know, it's pretty much at that place, you know, so it might be outside of Tesla. It might be like a Mars coin or X coin or whatever, you know, could be, but I I think it's going to have something to do with Tesla and uh, maybe it'll be like used with the ride hailing versus slash robotaxi. Somehow, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be. Maybe he introduces it at the same time they introduced the ride hailing Robotaxi app, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be so cool? Like, you know, I know they've designed this app, right? You saw it at sort of, I think you might have got a sneak peek yeah. at like the. Yeah. So that was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, or three years ago, I don't know. It was like at least two years ago. Maybe it was three years ago. But they've been really iterating on that, I'm sure. And what if he's going to introduce like some Tesla coin as part of that app? Like, hey, this is how we're going to be exchanging value in the app you know like web 3.0 is exchanging value it's not Web 2.0 is read writing you know web 1.0 is read only web 2.0 is read write web 3.0 is exchange and so i think he's going to innovate there and uh tesla you know could be a great use case for the ride hailing robotaxi stuff like delivery is everything
0: yeah um <laughs> so okay so, so so a few thoughts so I don't know if if the opportunity is in Tesla releasing another just coin, another crypto of, if it's just...
1: It could be backed by Bitcoin, though, I'm saying. Like, it could be something backed by Bitcoin. Yeah,
0: like, the thing is, I don't think Elon just wants another coin out there. Like, he wants to fix a problem. So, I think the the likely scenario is he dives into Dogecoin. He's like, oh, man, this is a mess. He dives into Bitcoin. Yeah, I think he's already doing that.
1: Yeah.
0: He dives into Bitcoin he says what's up, you know, why isn't why aren't people innovating on this thing as much as they should, you know? He looks yeah. at Ethereum, he says,
1: you know, Or guys, Bitcoin also is like, it seems unfair that all these early movers are just buying it up yeah, and they're going to exactly. be the richest people in the world because they it, just it, buy it up,
0: you know? Exactly, and he has this criticism that it's just too deflationary, right? It's just, it, the, yeah. the supply is too capped. Um, so the price moves up too fast, basically, as people buy into yeah, it. And, um, yeah. yeah, and he looks at Ethereum, he's like, yeah, oh, interesting... Um, they kind of moving slow with scaling it. He looks at Cardano. <laughs> See, here's the thing, man. Cardano to me is is one of the most in- fascinating crypto projects out there. Like, I'm I'm naturally skeptical with some of this stuff out there, but with Cardano, like, man, it just he it hits like so many things on the head. Like, they actually have like a real vision. They really want to like better the world. They want to really make it currency for let's say africa and the underdeveloped um, people in the world they have like all of the pieces in place Um, they're gaining you know communities Um, they just have so many things um the question though is like i think um if elon had something to contribute to crypto i think it could be either like if cardano is good enough then i think elon maybe would just step back and support cardano my opinion. But
1: but he's never said anything about Cardano. Yeah, he's never
0: hasn't. said I mean there's been theories that it could the whole, be on his radar. Yeah, the whole thing of fork in a road that he tweeted before, that's kind of a Cardano phrase. So people were speculating he could be supporting Cardano. But I'm not there's not no other evidence besides that. But the other thing is if Elon says, Hey, I could create, you know, it's not a coin per se, but I, I'm creating a, a platform, you know, I'm creating the next big crypto, you know, ecosystem and it's going to be based on innovation and what crypto should become, you know? And this would be a big project. It would be a project that is basically trying to, you know, overtake Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Polkadot, all these others, and become the crypto, you know, of cryptos. And I think, you know, that would be the, the most interesting scenario because of all the people out there who know how to push innovation like Elon has proven that he could do it with just a few percent of his time you know he could push major yeah, he innovation you can hire the
1: right decision makers the right engineers exactly. and push it and make a couple of decisions and make it in the right direction yeah
0: but it takes i noticed wants. with Elon it takes him a while like i'm not sure what the exact time frame but it probably takes him a good 6 to 12 months for him to get really familiar with the technology whether mm. it's neuralink or tunneling or or satellites, you know, with, with, with Starlink, et cetera, it, there's like a, there's a, a incubation time where he mm-hmm. like, he, he, he just explores, he thinks that this is a great thing, but later on he finds, you know, it's not. And, and at the end of it, it, there could come out to be something really interesting, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, if, if there is something like a Tesla, Tesla crypto, you know, Tesla coin crypto, like a. A real platform that really is the next big thing. This could be huge. I mean, we're talking yeah. about like like huge, trillions huge. and trillions of dollars, yeah. you know, of yeah. of of, yeah. of value. I mean, crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think it makes too much sense to go with the robo taxi, ride hailing, delivery, autonomous delivery stuff that they're going to be doing. Like, are they going to really just want people to transact in like ten different cryptocurrencies and fiat currencies, or are they going to have their own like central currency that they're going to want to have adopt, you know, I don't know. It seems like a, a fit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Master of coin. Yeah. <laughs> so that Master is the coin, clue right there. That's the yeah, clue. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fun stuff. Um, so there was a YouTube comment here talking about um, how Biden is likely to make um, uh, get rid of, or, I want say like who knows, but there is talk that Biden will get rid of the capital gains tax and make it all ordinary um tax for people at a certain income level or, or higher, so it might be something yeah. like a million dollars or higher um Have you been following kind of that talk at all, and what are your thoughts with that
1: yeah, um you know I talked to uh <laughs> my uh my advisors helped me with that um you know the uh value-based strategy and talking about different things. And I touched base with him last week and he's talking to all his CFA friends and, and, and accounting friends and stuff. And they all think, you know, they handicap it at like 70% chance that this happens that, you know, uh, basically capital gains tax goes, 70% is not a sure thing, you know, two out of three. That's pretty good though. But, um, you know, um, and he's looking at like living in Puerto Rico for example. He just came back from a trip to Puerto Rico and he's like, Yeah, I, I, my wife at first she was like, One in a million, I'm not going to Puerto Rico and we just want a vacation and and then he's like, Yeah, when we got back, it was like that dumb and dumber movie when you're like, So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> I feel like it'd be the same with my wife like i'd convince her to take a trip with me to puerto uh, rico not like as a way to like move there but then when, even though right now she's like no way we're moving to puerto rico and then when we come back i'd like convince her on this plane ride like hey look at all the money we'd save when we lived there too and then she'd be like possibly <laughs> but it would still be a long ways off from like a decision but i think a lot of people might start moving to puerto rico you know uh, and, uh uh-huh. you know but but it's 70 chance if that's what these CFAs and accountants are handicapping, this is going through as that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, you know, like no benefit from capital gains holdings, you know, for, you know, it just seems like, um, people are going to just jump through more loopholes to avoid it. You know, whether it's moving somewhere offshore trusts, you know, all kinds of stuff, people are going to just, a lot of these, these things they put in, there's not, you know, a lot of people, come up with these crazy, you know, tax avoiding solutions for these, you know, the wealthiest people come up with the most, you know, I'm starting to figure out like, wow, some of these people jump through so many crazy hoops. I don't want to jump through a ton of hoops. It's too much work, too much paperwork to keep track of, but I can see the incentive, you know, and a lot of people do. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? You think it's, uh, you must, you know, be a little, uh, you know, <laughs> not not happy with that the 70% number i just voted you <laughs>
0: yeah i'm like what 70% yeah that's um do you think they'll do you think they'll make it retroactive to the, the get yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the beginning of the year yeah that's
1: what he said 70% retroactive 2021 hey so so it's too late Jeez. now yeah.
0: man that's a rough one yeah it's a tough one very rough yeah, uh, what do you do, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you never sell, or yeah, or you don't care anymore, and you just you know you don't yeah. hold things long term. You just do all short term trading. Yeah. After a while,
0: have you heard of the whole mark to market tax that's being
1: discussed at all? Oh, is this where they're just gonna like? <laughs> <laughs> try to tax you on what your paper worth yeah, is yeah, before exactly. you even realize any gains. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah, I think that's got a, that's pro- hopefully that's got a harder time to pass, but okay. that, that's going to really ruin the economy, I think, if they were to <laughs> pass that. I mean, especially people like, like you're going to tax Elon Musk like yeah. X billion dollars? Like, really? I mean, mm. he's, he's not planning to sell any of his shares anytime soon. You know, it's, that just those people don't understand economics, in my opinion, the people that yeah. are, I mean, I can see, okay, let's raise you know, let's take away capital gains tax altogether. Okay. So some crazy tax, crazy, you know, legislation, they wanna do that, you know. But to mark to market taxes, that's just totally disinsif dis dissent- incentivizes the uh, uh new businesses, you know, founders and I don't know, it's just it's gonna really hurt a lot of businesses, I think, big time.
0: Yeah. What do you think of the wealth tax that's being proposed?
1: Oh my gosh. Well What's the specifics of that in California? You mean, or just all over? Is, um, is it the country? I know California yeah, country, is uh, wealth Yeah, yeah.
0: Elizabeth Warren, she's proposing uh, fifty million and above. You know, yeah. would would start out at one percent per year, and then it would go yeah. up. You know, as you have more
1: wealth. And is that going to be on unrealized gains too? I would imagine yes. it's just on your wealth, right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's going to pass. I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like every couple of years, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders are trying to bring that up and it just doesn't, you know, it's a headline, but, you know, I don't think there's going to be enough to pass that. I mean, there's so many politicians that have very wealthy families too, you know, like, but I just don't think it's going to pass. Yeah, it, That comes up a lot. That seems yeah. like that wealth tax idea. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I mean... I just think the government is not a good way to use capital. Like, you know, it's just, um, it's, uh, it's sad. You know, you want to have, I'd rather like be donating money to things over time, you know, investing in small businesses, you know, venture capital I'm starting to see is like a huge reason for success in the United States and our economy and our livelihood is because I'm not a venture capitalist, but I could see venture, I think venture funds, you know, like as cutthroat as their model might seem like they're allowing small businesses to grow and innovate and create like incredible economies in the United States, you know, like, and, and all these things are going to like disincentivize that type of business, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, um, Final question. Derek Elliott on Twitter says, Emmett is now financially independent. How does he find purpose in life now that he doesn't have to worry about money? What's his next goal? Where does he see himself in 10 or 20 years? Um, You've mentioned in the past, you know, you're wanting to do kind of um, your model of your fund is to give half of its, um, I guess, fund profits to charity. Um, half of the, the fees are generated. The fees. Half of the, yeah, that's right. The half fees of the, yeah. <clears throat> that the, the fund the generates charity. to charity. And you want to set a model for other funds. Um, and you've also shared kind of your concern of kind of capitalism, kind of.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, The future of a, capitalism. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: um, I was wanting to ask you more about that. Like, how, how concerned are you really? Like, do you see some concerned. threats? you know regarding capitalism where are these these threats coming from and how serious are they
1: yeah i mean i think the younger generation you know they're having a hard time catching up you know to uh, to to everyone else who's done well and made money for example you know if you're coming out of college where do you you know you're voting for you know you're going to be voting for people that you want to give you the best chance to have a good outcome and you know i think Capitalism is seen as like, you know, you you either swim or you sink, you know, and, and there's no in between, you know, you either make it or you're not going to make, you know, you're working for the man for the rest of your life and on a, you know, low income, like starting a small business. There's a lot of people that just will never do that because it's too risky to them, you know, and they don't, you know, or a lot of people that will start a small business and just fail, you know, but they'll learn a lot, you would think. And, um, I just think it's like, you either, you know, you know, kill or get killed. That's how people see capitalism. It's like cutthroat, you know, and, um, that I think resonates with younger people that are falling behind and have student debt or whatever, you know, they see all these successful people, um, and they just feel like they can never catch up and they feel it's unfair and it might feel unfair. You know, the results are not fair, right? I think opportunity is close to fair. You know, sure, there's opportunities aren't always equal, but I think it's close, you know, closer than almost any other society in the world that's gone on. Um, and so there's just not going to be equal outcome, you know, but I think capitalism itself could do a much better job of not being so cutthroat and actually giving back. You know, right now, a lot of people just are you know, a lot of successful businesses just pay taxes and pay the minimal taxes possible and just focus on growing, 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 and growing revenues, growing shareholder value and making everyone richer. That's part of the company or invested in the company. And I think that's been the focus. And then you have like people like the Salesforce, you know, um, CEO, which I think he's got something where he's kind of changed some, he's the 1% of your time, 1% of your money. So that's a good, that's a great starting point, for example. Um, Uh, ARK Invest were interviewing tomorrow. They started selling swag for good for donating. That's a good thing, you know, but I think if you could have companies, especially Wall Street, which is seen as like the most capitalistic pigs of capitalism, you know, hedge fund managers, Wall Street, if you could start having them give back aggressively, you know, that could really help the world, you know, it could help the perception of capitalism amongst the younger people if they see like, oh, you know, my student loan is you know is being forgiven because of this charity that helps pay off student loan or whatever you know there could just be a million use cases for donating you know you have billion multi-billion dollar hedge funds making billions in fees like they could give they don't have to keep that all for themselves i mean they they want to why you know everyone's greedy and wants as much money as they think they're they can earn but um ultimately at the end of the day like you have to figure out like, why do you want so much money? You want to make the world a better place, I would hope most people, right? But everyone sees how to do that a little differently, I guess. And the way I see it is like, let's try to improve the perception of capitalism. So we don't go into like a socialist type, you know, environment where it's too fast, you know, of, I think there is a a bridge to go to like universal basic income. And I think it could be done well, and if it's done right, but I think it could also be done way too brashly and quickly with like you know the wrong uh election cycle and then all of a sudden you have all these taxes we're talking about like even more aggressive taxes going through and everyone just being like upset and just the economy going into a tailspin people leaving the country you know all this stuff could happen but that's just my my own fears and i I, but i see them as realistic you know in, in the next one or two election cycles
0: yeah i think um i mean when i think about some of these issues i think of like kind of the bigger trends in like historical like where we are where we where are we in the bigger like multi-hundred year view and yeah what i see is like the forces of technology are changing society so fast it's just like with computers and internet it's like the amount of change is just unprecedented you know so fast yeah what people have to go through in terms of change in five years or ten years this is that's a lifetime of change in previous generations right and then you with technology combine that with you know more of a globalized you know world um what you have is you have this winner takes most you know kind of effect where you have these network effects where technology is used to create amazing value but it's hard to replicate that value without the same network effects and distribution that these large conglomerates have. And what you have is you have the wealth of technology being kind of, you know, brought together with the companies that are, are holding those network effects. And if you're connected to one of those companies, either by owning shares as a stockholder or by being employed by one of those companies and getting equity or salary, or If you live in an area that is close to these, you know, big companies or companies that are taking advantage of the bigger tech and globalized, you know, trends, then you can benefit in some way. But if you're not, if you're kind of like in rural America, far away from, you know, any of this, how are you benefiting from it, you know? like the massive amount yeah. of wealth being generated, it's like you're so far, you know? I think that's part of the tension is you have this dichotomy of those who are benefiting and those who aren't. And then what you, what you have that worsens everything is you have this complete stall of the government. Like when have both sides of the aisle like come together and actually done some legitimate work, you know? It's like, it's a yeah. complete stall. It's complete inept, yeah. like we have an inept Kind of a, a a vacuum of of leadership you know in government and this has been going on for a long long time and you combine that with the things that are happening with technology and globalization and you realize that this is becoming a tragedy like you know if you had you know capable leadership who were able to make the right moves then you could come yeah. out of it like you know um well off, you know, better off, but you have kind of just the worst, I mean, you just have the worst situation to deal with the changes, you know, happening. It feels like.
1: Yeah. And the leadership, the thing about the government, like I totally agree with you. It's the system. It's the system of the government we're in and includes the media too, you know, and you combine it and there's no way it can see, even if you have the most, you know, impressive leader you know as president and the you know most impressive a couple very impressive congress people in there like i just don't think the system is set up in a way to let it succeed um at this point like with when you combine the media craziness of politics now you know it's just pitting people against each other constantly you know and it's just, a, it's a tragedy, like you said. And, um, so I think you gotta look elsewhere than government, like government's not going to be the solution. That's going to be the tragedy in my opinion. And so that's why I think you got it's gotta be up to the businesses that say, Hey, let's, let's try to make this right. Let's try to give back to, you know, people that need it and try to help the world in ways the government is obviously failing at, you know? So that's my thought. I yeah. mean, the future of government is dire. And, yeah. And
0: sacred. I mean, like, like there's some simple things that could happen. Like for example, like um, you know, um, you can if you're if you're in government. It, see the, the problem is also like you know when you try to govern by committee and by consensus, like you barely get anything done, you know, because like there's too many yeah. special interests involved. But if you really yeah. had like you know a capable leader who is saying, okay, the, one of the things you I think you need to do is you need to encourage people to start and to, to move their businesses and to start businesses in areas that are not taking advantage of the great wealth that's being created with tech. Meaning you need to say, hey, we're gonna give huge tax breaks to companies who set up shop in like, you know, these places that are just, you know, more rural and kind of like smaller cities or towns, um, different places where where You know, with the internet today, you can do business anywhere. You know, it's like you can, and so what you do is you diversify. You know, you distribute those those gains by encouraging and by giving incentives for people to move and to go to other places. You know, and that's something that doesn't require a ton of money. Actually, it just requires like a a shifting of of tax incentives in, in a way. But that's. Just simple things like that could do a huge amount of good because think about the divide in our country. A lot of it is coming like from dissatisfaction, discontentment of, of wages just being stagnated, being left behind. You know, of just seeing wealthy people and wealthy groups of people just you know just take off with you know wealth and tech and the rest of society being left behind but you could do certain things some some tweaks that make a huge difference if you're focused on the problem if you and if you're a capable leader you know but that's what's missing you know in at least you know in our society in my opinion um yeah and i don't know yeah how you can fix that at this i mean yeah we'll see i mean in some ways i mean covid is kind of moving people out it seems like of certain urban areas but i don't know if it will be enough really to you know distribute
1: right the wealth and the gains across society yeah i think covid will look back and it'll be a it'll be looked on as something that was actually good long term in the trajectory of just you know it's a lot of good things but you know this past year has been very tough for a lot of people obviously you know depressing being locked up in wherever for a year you know but like you said yeah i think it's done a lot of good in terms of Forcing certain changes that need to happen
0: yeah all right Emmett. it's been fun chatting with you guys um or fun yeah, chatting you with too. you and uh yeah. with everyone else on twitter and youtube as well but it's uh it's fun um yeah it's just fun you know just um catching up but also interacting with folks um and getting to know people um yeah it's it's fascinating you know i, I don't think investment yeah. was like this
1: you know 10 20 years no. ago <laughs>
0: It was so bizarre, yeah. You
1: would yeah. never imagine, like ten years ago, you know, doing this stuff stuff regularly. Like so many people yeah. have YouTube channels or podcasts talking yeah. about investing. You know, it yeah. was just like network TV before. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, even better in some ways. All right, <laughs> all right, I Evan, yeah. take care. Um, we'll see you. All right, yeah, see you. We'll in talk a bit. tomorrow. All right, yeah. yes. All right, all right, take care. Right. Bye.